This is the Bloom Boss Podcast. My name is Alyssa Morton, former 9-to-5-er turned full-time event florist and serial multi-six-figure entrepreneur. Every day, I'm bringing you an inspiring conversation, quickie mindset episode, or lesson learned to help you take the leap of faith into building a floral-based business. Thanks for starting your day with me. Now, let's boss up. Are you an aspiring or new event floral entrepreneur struggling to find the information, trainings, and community you need to build your own joy-filled flower biz? Come join us in our Bloom Like a Boss Club, the exclusive community for event floral professionals. Each week, our members receive a new design and recipe along with monthly group trainings and bonuses for being part of the club. Visit the link in the show notes to learn more. You guys, I'm having a bit of a found girl moment right now because of today's podcast guest. I've been following this guest for a while. She's hosted multiple summits and online events. She's participated in bundles. And today I get to have a conversation with her. I'm excited to introduce you to Heidi Thompson. For those that don't know Heidi, she is the best-selling author of Clone Your Best Clients and the founder of Evolve Your Wedding Business, where she helps wedding professionals book more ideal clients and craft a business that gives them the income, life, and freedom that they want. In today's conversation, I got to ask her all of your burning questions, including questions like, is it actually slow or is it getting back to normal? How to add aligned revenue streams to your business and how to take initiative in your marketing to attract aligned clients. She shared actionable advice for you to create promotions, market yourself at networking events, and to help build a business you love without burnout. I'm so excited for you to listen to this conversation, so let's get into it. We've got a very special guest on the Bloom Balls podcast today, Heidi Thompson. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I was so excited when you reached out to me. We love an amazing guest, and I know that you've got really special information for us today. I know that a lot of us feel like it's feast or famine sometimes, especially in the wedding industry. Now that we're coming off of that COVID hive, like all the reschedules, like right now, I think a lot of florists are feeling like it's really slow and maybe it's just getting back to normal because we were used to two years of pure craziness without being able to breathe. So I want to talk today all about marketing and giving everybody like a really firm grasp on what they could be doing to take initiative in the marketing so that they're not burning themselves out, they're attracting the aligned clients, meeting the revenue goals, and making sure that they have the right numbers that they're looking at anyway, so that they can make sure that they're continuing to grow. So I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, I was excited that you proposed this topic because it's definitely something I'm seeing a lot. And I'm seeing it interestingly in all sorts of different markets, all sorts of different vendor types, because I work with all sorts of different types of vendors. I'm seeing it across different countries. So I think it's just kind of the overall wave of how things are going right now everywhere. Well, it's kind of relieving to hear that it's not just just Flores. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like everybody's experiencing it and that there's hope. Like there's things that we can be doing to make sure that we're really meeting the goals and that we're continuing to grow our business and not just like to the point that we're booking more weddings, but that they're aligned, that they are meeting the right requirement, that we're not just going for the quantity game because we want to have a lifestyle freedom too. Like we don't want to just burn out. So let's hear some of your tactical advice and, you know, like, is there anything that they can be doing? Like, I guess we should start with the actual numbers, like that they're making sure that they're calculating how they're to compare like if they're even like meeting their numbers like because yeah. it could just be a feeling that they're having and it's actually they're doing great you know 
Yeah, I love the fact that I'm not like a big number person, I'm not a big data person, but I do love it because it takes the emotion out of it. It takes you out of that, like, oh, I feel a certain way about something. And a lot of times that's wrong. So I would first go look to see, like, where are you right now in terms of where you typically are in terms of inquiries, in terms of bookings, and then... There's really two different really good avenues we can talk about. One is how do you do more and get more of the clients that you want to be booking for the services that you already offer? The other is, okay, what can I do differently that is going to bring in more revenue that I can tap into and kind of see as like, I have different levers I can pull in front of me. And I really love that because that puts people in the driver's seat. It puts you in a really empowering position. So let's talk first about, you know, the people you're already getting. And what I'm seeing is that we're seeing a lengthened sales cycle. So people are taking longer to make up their mind. They're taking longer to book. But just because someone is taking longer to do something doesn't mean they're not going to do it. And I see a lot of wedding professionals of all different kinds give up way too easily on people that have expressed interest and they're not nurturing their leads in any way or they're sending like, you know, one or two emails and giving up on them. Well, if we're in this phase where people are taking a longer time and they have already expressed interest, in a lot of cases, it might take months for them to finally get around to booking you. And you'd be surprised how many people I've heard from who say that, you know, I had a consultation with this person. I thought this was a dead lead. Four months later, they show up and they want to spend like $10,000 with me. And it's it's that that we really have to be aware of. So I would really think about, are you nurturing your leads right now? And if so, how? And if you're not, even if you are, you may need to extend that so that you are keeping up with these people. And I don't mean in a way of like, are you ready to book? Are you ready to book? Are you ready to book? I mean, making sure that you are, you know, creating emails for them that are of value for where they are, that is showcasing your expertise, that's teaching them things that they don't know, which is pretty much everything because most of the people that hire us have never done this before and they have no idea what they need to know. And that very simple act of, continuing to show up in someone's inbox can absolutely be enough to set you apart and to keep you top of mind so that three, four months from now when they decide, okay, yeah, we're actually going to book the service now, you are the one that they think to book. So how long, or I guess like, how do you know if you're being annoying? Like how frequently should be the timeline for them to be reaching out? And a lot of our listeners are florists. So exactly like how should they be nurturing them? Like how long should they go? Because most of the time I feel like they're comparing apples to oranges and the clients don't know that. So would that be something that they're educating them about in the email cycle? And what does that look like for them? Yeah. So 
if they are someone that, you know, has inquired, you probably have their date. So you probably know that can be stored in your CRM system. You know, you can go in once a month, clean people out who have already gotten married, or you may be able to set up an automation to do that anyway. The way I see sales is I'm going to continue to offer you the opportunities to help you until you tell me you're not interested. Because I think one of the biggest disservices you can do to yourself is assuming that silence is disinterest. Usually silence comes from they're busy, they're distracted, they're not ready, uh, they're overwhelmed. And that's exactly when they need to be hearing from you. So giving up on them at that point, it's doing a disservice to you, but it's also doing a disservice to them. And if you're doing this through email marketing, if you're doing this through your CRM, you know, they're going to have a way to opt out of it. They're going to have a way to unsubscribe or tell you that, oh, we actually booked someone else or um, I'm no longer interested or whatever the case may be. But I would never assume that silence means a lack of interest because a lot, a lot of time, I have emails in my inbox right now that I'm like, I'm coming for you. Not today, <laughs> probably not this week, but I'm coming for you and I will get to you and I will buy that thing. But right this minute, I just can't do it. And we all do this. So it's really important to keep in mind that following up with them. And I think, you know, after you have a consultation, after you have an inquiry, what I would really love to see is like right after the inquiry process, maybe you are, uh, following up with them on a more regular basis. Maybe it's, you know, every several days and once a week, but then I think you can fall back into, you know, once every two weeks showing up and letting them know, Hey, here's a thing that you probably aren't aware of that you want to be aware of since, you know, you're planning a wedding. And I would just make sure that all of those emails are, really focused on giving them something, providing something to them so that they're like, I'm really glad I read that. You know, it can be linking off to a blog post. It can be linking off to um, an Instagram post. If you did one about a wedding you did recently, and maybe you told the story of how that all came together. And maybe there were some like issues, some mistakes and how you recovered from those. You know, those are great pieces of content that you can repurpose. You don't have to, you know, start with a blinking cursor and completely reinvent the wheel. Okay. So for anybody, like I know that the two common ones that people use are like HoneyBook and Dubsado and those automations. I don't know if you can actually unsubscribe from those. So should they be using a separate automation like email platform that they're like automatically added to after they inquire? That's a good question. And I don't think you necessarily need to add more work for yourself. I am a big proponent of email marketing. And I think for that, you should use an email marketing platform. And that can absolutely be the secondary thing. If that's too much for you right now, don't worry about it. Like, just leave it, let it go. Be, yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect. At least you're showing up and you're continually helping these people whether or not they decide to book with you and encouraging them in every email, letting them know this is how you can work with us. This is, you know, the next step if you want to take this, but not in a way that's like, you better do this. Okay. Okay. 
I like where this is going. So what was the other option was to add different revenue streams to the business. So yeah. what does that so look like? Yeah. I I recently held a workshop series and it's available now still if you want to grab it. I'll give you the link for it. But um it's called Revenue on Demand and I created it because of a conversation I had with one of the members of my membership, the Wedding Business Collective. She was in this situation. She had put together this marketing plan, which is one of the big first milestones in our membership. And I reviewed it and I gave her feedback and she was saying she was really excited about it, but she was nervous because right now she didn't have any bookings for the next you know, couple of months. And my instant thinking was, well, you know, you can run a promotion or you know, you can you know, create another revenue stream either for them, for your past clients, for, you know, your vendor friends. There's a million different ways to do it. And so what we really covered in that workshop was twofold. One, you can create something new if you think that's going to be beneficial. And you can create something new for either your leads, like the people that would be interested in booking you anyway. Uh, it could be for your past clients or it could be for, you know, other vendors. Maybe you're really good at something and you get asked about it all the time. That's a great opportunity to create and sell something to them. And I think we really neglect to look at how can we maximize the overall like lifetime value of our clients? Because sure, they may not, you know, have another wedding, but I'm willing to bet we can come up with other revenue streams that you can add in that they would be interested in, want to take you up on. So that's the first part. And then the second part is how do you promote that? And we covered all sorts of different types of promotions. And I think people, when they hear the word promotion, what they hear is discount. And that's not what I'm talking about. We covered 15 different types of promotions that don't require any sort of discounting. It just gives people a reason to buy this thing now as opposed to buying this thing later. And those are the things that can be used on, you know, that new revenue stream that maybe you're going to develop or your existing revenue streams. And when I have a period that's quiet, this is what I always go to. And it was one of those things that like, it's just so second nature for me that I didn't really realize that we don't talk about that in the wedding industry at all. You're right. So do you mind sharing like two promotions that they can do right now to take action and really take initiative in their marketing to bring more leads in? Like what kind of value can they provide like as an add-on for florists, like in particular? Yeah. So a really popular promotion type is doing some sort of bonus that is only available if you book within a certain period of time. There's a lot of different ways to position that, but the whole idea is that if you book during this period or if you book one of these open dates or whatever criteria you want to give it, I am going to add in this bonus. And you want the bonus to be something that, definitely something that they would want I would say not something that they would normally buy. Like if 90% of your people add something on, like you don't want to cannibalize it. But 
if you can add something on that doesn't really cost you that much and it's going to be worth it to get the client, then I think that is a hugely helpful promotion to run. It's simple. It's just if you, and we've all seen this, we've seen these, you know, promotions out in the wild. If you order this by this date, you get this other thing. If you buy this by this date, you get this other thing. We can absolutely apply that to any business. And it could be, you know, something material. It could be something that comes after the wedding. It could be something that's an additional service or adding something in. I'm curious, as I'm talking about this, are there any things that are coming to your mind that are like, yeah, I could probably toss that in? I've done this before and we offer bouquet preservation. And that's like something that we always like will do as like a, a promotion or a booking incentive. Like if I'm on a call with somebody and I want to like give them motivation to book within like 24 hours, I'll say like, if you book by tomorrow at this time, I'll throw in free bouquet preservation. Cause for me, yeah. it's not a lot of money for us to do it. It's something of a big value to them because then they're able to keep their flowers forever and it differentiates us a little bit. Um, but I've also seen other people like give away their bridal bouquet or something that like everybody's going to need, but they're going to see it's like a big value. And if they're booking, let's say, a $5,000 minimum wedding, like 300 bucks for the bouquet for you is like nothing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and even at that, like it should only cost you like 85 bucks. Yeah. So it's something with a big perceived value. Um, trying to think like you could also like partner with other vendors. So like if you wanted to. That was another type that yeah. we talked about was doing something joint. And we had an officiant in that group that decided to team up with a photographer and they created a joint elopement package that they were going to really push during a certain period where neither of them had a lot, but they knew that, you know, we can tap into elopements that way we don't need like the long lead time. So So it was easy for them to put that together and it was an opportunity. And once you start noticing these opportunities, you notice just all of the different ways that you can make money in your business. And it is practically unlimited. There are so many different things you can do. And I think just brainstorming that and picking one and running with it can be a great way to give you, you know, a boost of revenue. And what you come up with is going to depend on, you know, your unique business and, you know, the particular skills that you have you know, we had a videographer who everybody was coming to her and asking questions about, you know, short form video, about Instagram reels, about TikTok. And she was using it a lot in her business and getting a lot of success from it. And finally, she got so sick of repeating herself. She was like, okay, I'm just going to run a workshop and you guys can pay to attend and I'll teach you all this stuff which then led to people going through the workshop and deciding, I don't want to do this myself. Can I hire you to just continue to make these for me? Which was a really amazing revenue stream that was just sitting right in front of her that she didn't even notice was there. So smart. Every time I hear like different examples like this, it always gets my brain like spinning with different things. Like, I guess it's a year ago now. 
I was working like freelancing with other florists and something that came up is everybody was talking about hating to strike their event like at the end of the wedding like they didn't want to go back and clean up the rentals so I turned to my husband and I said I have a brilliant idea and you're going to hate it (laughs) and it is so ridiculously busy right now we started a strike business helping other florists clean up their events and it's like so niche and so that's so smart (laughs) and like now like in the future like we see it franchising honestly like we can picture it like being all the way across the country because nobody wants to do it and we've systemized it so much that we have really like dialed in the hiring process and the training process and the firing process and how to pack and deliver and all the things that like there's so many opportunities and if you just like turn on your listening ears <laughs> you'll see something yeah. like, in your area and i mean you can do something as simple too as like okay look at your past clients which of them have an anniversary coming up which of them have a birthday coming up and reach out to the other partner and say hey do you want a you know somewhat remake of the bouquet for their anniversary or for their birthday. If that's something that you offer, if that's something you want to offer, maybe you don't, maybe you hate that idea. Great. Don't do it. (laughs) But if that's like, Oh my God, yes, that would be so easy for me to just reach out to these people and say, Hey, I would love to make this for you. If you're interested, you know, that's something we saw too with um, cake makers, like being able to turn around and say, okay, well, his birthday's coming up, her birthday's coming up, you know, you have this event coming up, let's do something together because you obviously loved it the first time. So why not sell to these people again who are already fans of you, they already trust you, they already like you, and they already love your work. They're going to be so much easier to sell to than someone who doesn't know you and doesn't have any trust built with you. So I love this. So what do you recommend for everybody that's trying to attract their aligned clients? Because there's a difference between just getting clients in the door and oftentimes they're a bigger pain in the butt than when they are actually aligned. So what is your advice for really making sure that it's attracting those people? I would make sure that, and this is, I know, I understand this is a big project, so don't try to do this all in one. I would make sure that everything on your website and everything in your marketing is speaking specifically to who you want to attract. What I see a lot is people trying to generalize and not wanting to get specific, which then makes you blend in with everybody else and you have to compete on price. But when you really make yourself the go-to person for somebody and you really just like plant your flag in the ground and say like, hey, I am your person if... XYZ, that makes it so much easier for them to seek you out and for them to find you. I have a floral design client and she only works with people who are spending, I think her minimum is like 12,000 and a lot of large installations. Could she do individual you know, okay. Yeah, she has, but she doesn't (laughs) really want to. Like she has moved past that and really just wants to work on this specific like niche within a niche within a niche of creating these installations for people that really want like a wow factor at their event and want to create like an atmosphere at their event. Now, 
the people that, you know, come to her website and that see her work and that just want, you know, a couple bouquets and a couple boutonnieres, they're not going to even bother to reach out because it's very clear. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is, you know, what I specialize in. This is what I'm great at. And this is my minimum great. That means you aren't getting the inquiries that are going to waste your time. And I think we have to kind of flip our mindset on that of getting fewer inquiries, but getting the right inquiries is actually a really, really good thing because it doesn't waste your time when you really position yourself in everything as not, oh, I could do that. But as this is who I am, this is what I do. This is what I specialize in. If you like it, cool. We can work together. You're going to love it. If not, also cool. Maybe there's someone else you can refer them to. One of my favorite quotes is that you can do anything in the world, but you shouldn't. Like, you don't have (laughs) to. (laughs) It's like you can do everything, but you shouldn't. Yeah. So, yeah. And to that point, like, even if you decide, like, maybe it's a super lean month and you want to take something like that on because it just makes sense financially, it doesn't mean you have to put it in your portfolio. That doesn't mean you have to talk about it because your marketing should be really oriented around that perfect person and what they want. So true. I just heard somebody else recently say that all of the people that you see on the wedding magazines and in their Instagram those are the photos that they're showing you. They're not showing you all the ones that are just paying the bills, like the the revenue, the income that's keeping the business floating. Like you're not seeing their $3,000 weddings, you're seeing their $30,000 weddings. So I think that's a good yeah. reminder for everybody that put the weddings out there that you want to attract more of, but you don't have to say no to all of them. Yeah, because everybody, when we are shopping for anything, we're looking for indicators that this is the right place to get what I want. And if you see something that makes you think, oh, no, okay, maybe it's not, or I can't tell because it's too inconsistent, you're probably going to go somewhere else. Yeah, so true. Um, What is the big mindset piece? Because this comes up all the time. uh, To really make sure that they're not, I guess, sabotaging themselves. Because it's really easy for us to do that. We fall into the loops of, you know... I could never book somebody of that caliber or, you know, like those pieces that come up when they want to level up in their business and they want to start having that $12,000 minimum and they get all these inquiries for $5,000 and they're like, oh, but my minimum is 12000 How do you recommend that they overcome that? I think you really have to start in your mind separating yourself from your business and from your work. And I think Phrases like charge what you're worth, while they mean well, what they tell you subconsciously is it's about you and it's really not at all. It's about the market that you're in. It's about the people that you've chosen to serve. It's about how good you are at your marketing and your selling because quite frankly, the most talented people aren't the ones necessarily making the most, the ones that are best at selling the thing that people want are the best at that. So I think we really have to get out of a mindset of like, I'm not worth that much. That's dangerous territory. And I see people get stuck there a lot. And you're a human being. You don't have a dollar value. That's not a thing. 
you create certain work and there are certain groups of people who will pay certain amounts of money for that. You also shouldn't assume what that amount is without testing it because we get into this whole mindset thing of like playing with other people's money and we have absolutely no idea what their financial situation is. We tell ourselves they can't afford that. Is that actually true? That's really none of your business at all, what they can and can't afford. What your job is, is to show how much value is in something. Value meaning this is what you get out of it. This is, you know, the transformation that you get. And then making sure that that value is significantly higher than the price that you're charging. You know, if you're selling something and the value of it, you know, what someone's getting out of it is a million dollars. Can you charge half a million dollars for that? Yeah. Who wouldn't pay a half a million dollars to get a million dollars? You know, you really have to think about it in those terms and that pricing isn't personal. It doesn't reflect on your ability, your skill, your creativity. It really just reflects on, do you have a market that will support that? Have you positioned yourself properly to show them that like, yes, I'm your best option. I'm the go-to person for you and really selling the value of what you offer. Then you start to see people buy things at significantly higher prices because it's no longer an apples to oranges or it becomes an apples to oranges. Whereas if you're like, I'm a florist and I do weddings. Well, guess what? There's a million other florists that do weddings. If you can become known for something, if you can specialize in some way, if you can say you really want to work with a specific type of client or in a particular type of situation, particular venues, maybe specialize in outdoor weddings. But when you can put yourself in that situation, it's no longer an apples to apples. It's a there's that perfect person for what I want. And there are people who could like kind of maybe get the job done, but not to the level of what I want. So true. You know, the saying like niches get riches. And we like to think that by generalizing and saying that we can do all types of weddings from garden inspired to glam to classic to ballroom to all the different styles in between, you're you're opening yourself up to more opportunities, but it's the people that say, like, I specialize in the glam ballroom weddings that are actually booking more events because people know when I want a glam ballroom wedding, I'm going to book this luxury florist that has a $10,000 minimum because she can fulfill what I want. Whereas the person that's booking 100 weddings a year of all types probably isn't going to do my wedding the way that I want it. So it's like being Absolutely. able to specialize. And it doesn't even have to necessarily be specializing in an aesthetic. It could be specializing in a type of person that you'd like to serve. It could be specializing in a sustainable floristry. Like mm -hmm. there's so many different things you can do. It doesn't just have to be like, okay, I have to like only do this particular style. It could be that you specialize in starting from a blank canvas and being able to create in multiple different ways, but you have to... Give your people something to latch on to, to see you as the go-to person in something.
Yeah. We talk a lot about the fact that people need to see these things. And if you're not showing them what you're capable of, they're never going to know, especially in floristry, because it's such a visual form. Like they need to see from start to finish. Look at this beauty that I created. And if you're not showing them the $12,000 weddings that you want to be booking, like they're not going to know that you're capable of doing it or that's even what you do to begin with. You're only showing them bouquets. Yeah, exactly. And I think, too, we get too comfortable in our expertise. I mean, I know, like, the names of maybe 10 flowers. That's it. Like, I don't know anything about actual flower farming and floristry. And I'm in this industry. So imagine somebody who's not, they're not around weddings all day. They're not around florists all day. They're just getting married for the first time, they probably have no idea. They might have like a favorite flower and they know what a rose is and they know what a sunflower is and that's kind of it. So we have to keep in mind that if we're not showing them, like you can't just describe it because the language is so different. So true. So I want to pivot a little bit because I know that you previously were a wedding planner, correct? Like Mm -hmm. that's where you started. So for all of our floral friends out there, when they're looking to create connections with planners, what kind of advice can you give them to really stand out and make sure that they're really creating true connections with them and able to create that kind of friend or relationship? I think the best thing you can do anytime you're trying to create a relationship with whether it's a planner or venue or photographer or anybody is keep in mind that if you reach out to them and you frame it in a way of, I want this thing, give me this thing, you're never going to get it. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about anybody really but themselves when we come right down to it. So if you can enter this person's world in a way where you are adding value, where you are offering to help them with something, or you are even simply connecting with them on a human level, on, you know, could just be you're talking about their dog on Instagram. I connect with tons of people that way and create business relationships with people that way because it allows that door to open and that conversation to happen and for you to just get to know people. I would say if you can think about something that you can provide that would be of service, that is always helpful. Um, I like to step up relationships. So I like to stalk people online first and then, you know, start interacting with them and maybe start DMing them and then maybe approach them for something or invite them to something, to a networking event or to do something, you know, together. I think that's a much more natural flow than sometimes in business, we kind of forget how to be people and we do, we get real awkward, real fast. It gets uncomfortable. But I think the biggest thing is how you can be of service to them. And that can be, you know, when you're reaching out to them, I think, you know, it sounds like your ideal clients are my ideal clients. And I would love to, you know, be able to refer people to you. I get questions all the time about, you know, this, that, the other thing. I'd love to sit down and buy you a coffee and learn more about you and the kind of people you like to work with. That comes across so much better than just like 
what I see happen a lot sometimes. It's like, can I be a preferred vendor? Like, oh my God. You're never going to become one. <laughs> it's like, that's not how you'd ask anybody on a date. So don't. <laughs> exactly. And if you can just, you know, help people in any way, even like people that you work with. So let's say I know you have three events coming up. If you afterwards went to all of those vendors online and you left them reviews talking about how amazing they were to work with on the day. Well, doesn't that make you stand out? Doesn't oh my that God, yes. That you care, right? That you are actually willing to help in some way. That's amazing. Any other tactical advice that you can give people ideas for? Because like you said, people become stupid when they think about like business and interactions. Like it's just blows out the window. You're like, I don't even know how to talk to you without making you feel like I just want you to buy from me. And it's like, we should be able to have a conversation and like just be kind. So any other yeah. advice like that that you can give? Yeah. I mean, I'm the kind of person that if I don't create some sort of structure or some sort of habit around something, it's probably not going to happen. So doing something as simple as like making a list of make like create a spreadsheet, create a Trello board of people that you want to connect with. And then every day spend 10 minutes going through commenting on their posts, responding to their stories, just looking for opportunities to interact with them, to compliment their work, to share their work, to talk about their dog, because, you know, we see these things on social media. And really something as little as like a 10 minute habit that you can put in your calendar to ha happen once a day to like go through your list of all the people you would really, really love to connect with. That can have such huge compound results and it feels too small to have any sort of result. But if you actually make it a recurring thing that you're doing and not just, oh, when I have the time, oh, when I need something, it really does stand out. And it becomes genuine. If you're yeah. only doing it when you need something, then they're going to know like you need something. But if you're just becoming a friend, your relationship's automatically going to just flourish from there. Like the way that I'm picturing it is um, how would you feel if somebody's coming and commenting and sharing all of your posts? Like you would be over the moon, like when you're getting that much more engagement, because not only are they sharing it with their audience or boosting your algorithm so that it boosts more, like it's helping to attract more aligned clients, especially if it's like a venue and they're resharing it or a planner or somebody like it's just endless opportunity. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to share. So any other advice that you can share when they're trying to break free from like wedding wire or the knot and building that kind of referral based business? I know that that was really, really tactical advice, but anything else for, you know, like their clients that they've worked with in the past, like their past clients friends, like, what do you recommend? Well, something I do with my clients is we build a marketing plan and everyone is different. You know, what works for different businesses, different people is inherently different. So I would really encourage anyone listening to look at what are the things that you know work for you? If you know you get a lot of referrals from 
a particular vendor, from a particular venue, from um, particular websites that, you know, you maybe you advertise on or maybe you just happen to be there because something was featured. I would look at, you know, what works. Where are you getting clients from currently? Because what we tend to do is neglect the things that are doing well. And then we shift our focus to, I feel like I need to be doing all this other stuff or this stuff isn't working. And I really push my clients to choose three marketing tactics, three marketing avenues they are going to focus on for the next 90 days. Because if you are just giving everything like 10%, you're not going to get results from anything. But if you look and you see, okay, referrals are great for me. I want to work on increasing my referrals. Uh, Maybe Instagram works well for you and maybe SEO works for you and you see some opportunity. Well, now you have those three things and you can decide really strategically, okay, what specific actions can I take to get more? out of these things that are already working? What's like specific tactical things can I do? So if it's, you know, something like more referrals, can I, you know, put an event together? Can I attend more networking events? Can I connect with more people? Can I, uh, I just had a planner decide that she was going to set up a referral program for elopement photographers. She does elopement planning. And it's just like a select group of elopement photographers that she loves working with and she gets referrals from. And now she's incentivizing them in the hopes that that should increase it. So looking at with any of these things that you do, if they're working well, Don't just let that be because you can optimize things slightly. You can make small changes and get, you know, exponential results as opposed to, you know, taking that as, oh, well, now I have to fix all these other things. You don't have to be doing everything. I like I really just encourage people pick three things in a 90 day period. If you have additional room to run some sort of experiment, maybe you want to see if you can get Pinterest to work for you. Great. But I wouldn't add on any more than that because once you start doing that, you can't be spending your entire week on your marketing. It has to be manageable. It has to be sustainable. And by focusing on the things that already work and looking to get more out of them, it just makes it so much easier. I agree. I feel like a lot of people tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater and they just try to create mm-hmm. something new because they're like, oh, this isn't working. But it does work. You just haven't put in enough time or consistent action to make it work. So actually having the numbers to look back and say like, wow, I've gotten so many referrals from this planner. I need to make sure that I'm reaching out to her to tell her I have these dates available this year. And if anybody comes in, then they can reach out to me because you know we love working together and she's loved working with me or to see that, wow, Instagram really isn't working, so I don't need to be posting every single day because what's the wasted energy for if I'm not actually getting any conversions from there? So that's really tactical. Thank you. Yeah, I I love, you know, making things easier on yourself, quite honestly, because too often we, like you said, you throw the baby out with the bathwater, you just start fresh over and over and over again. And marketing should get exponentially easier as you get more and more and more data, more feedback from 
the marketplace where you can see, okay, this thing works, this thing doesn't. Now I know what makes sense to spend my time, my money, my energy on. Awesome. So I want to ask, I know that you said before that you're not like a big number person. So is there a simplified way that you track your information to make it like not a big thing out of your day so that you're able to pull together your data? Like, is there a system that you have that is really efficient for you, like a habit that you do every week that people can take away? Yeah. So what I do is I just kind of check in with myself once a week to have like a CEO date to look at what's going on. And sometimes I track that in a specific place. Sometimes it's like, I need to just look at it to see where I'm at. So it's like less about the physical act of tracking. If I'm tracking something, it's going to Google Sheets. It's super simple. It's an ugly spreadsheet and it just makes it easy. But if I'm using a tool where I can look at, you know, different periods historically, I don't really feel the need to track that as much. I just need to like pulse check it. So that really helps me to see, okay, this is where I am. Like this is reality. This is what's going on right now. This is what's incoming. This is, you know, the outstanding leads that I have. Maybe I need to follow up with. This is the outgoing and just kind of checking in on it. That really takes me like 15 minutes a week just to quickly go look and see because the whole reason for doing it is allowing me to course correct. So if I see that there's something wrong, if I see that there's something happening, if I see there's some opportunity, I can just jump on it and take care of it. Whereas if you don't look at that information, you know, for months, you may not realize that there's something that's happening. You may not realize you're paying for something that you thought you canceled a year ago and you're still, you know, losing money to because you thought you canceled that software and you didn't, you know, that kind of thing happens all the time. So I'm just a really big fan of the pulse check and looking at okay, what is currently happening? And then based on that, do I need to change anything that I have planned? Because I like to plan, you know, 90 days, this is what I'm doing. But that can change, you know, if I have a spike or dip or, you know, anything that comes up in our businesses, I can instantly course correct. And it really does not take that much time. I love it. I like to start the week with that because it keeps me on track because my brain likes to get distracted and it goes in a million different directions. And then I'm reacting to my inbox and all of these different things when I should be actually being intentional with my marketing and only doing these five things that are going to be moving the needle in that marketing plan instead of, you know, jumping and starting something new and not actually moving the needle at all because you're, you know, Squirrel, like <laughs> going to like create something new. And... All of us. <laughs> so you mentioned before that you like to make things as easy as possible, and I think that that's the perfect transition to creating that lifestyle freedom. I know that this is something big that you teach, so that you're not, you know, burning yourself out, and that you're actually have the freedom that you want, you know, financially, lifestyle wise, you know, everything in between. So 
what advice do you have when they're trying to break free from that? I know that we have big egos. I know that we've got leadership skills that need to be developed. I know that we've got a lot of things in between that. So what are the big things that you see in your your clients and what do you recommend? The first thing I like to do is call people's attention to how much time they're spending on things that don't matter because we all do it. Every single one of us, myself included. And I have a course in my membership where the first step is to actually track your time. Like go on, you know, write it down or use a timer, see what you're actually doing. And then after a week that gives you usually enough of a idea of what is a typical week look like, you can usually identify things that you can just quit immediately. And I think a lot of times we look to outsource things, we look to automate things, but you don't want to outsource something or automate something that you don't actually need to be doing to begin with. True. So I like to start with, okay, like, what can I just get off my plate entirely? What doesn't need to happen? And then from there, looking at, you know, like, what is the value of the things that you're spending your time on? So you're the CEO of the business. Are you spending time on tasks that someone else could do for $20 an hour, $50 an hour that would free you up to do the work that creates, you know, $1,000 an hour, $10,000 an hour results? Because not every task that we do is the same. You know, when you spend an hour on Pinterest, just like scrolling because you got lost, that hour doesn't generate revenue. Whereas you have a 20 minute call with someone and it results in $10,000 in your business. That was a very profitable 20 minutes. We should try to get more (laughs) of those in and less of, you know, the time that doesn't bring in any revenue. Then that really helps you start to differentiate the things that you need to be doing as the CEO of the business and things that someone else could be doing, things that need to get done, but it doesn't have to get done by you, which quite frankly is like 90% of any business, which kind of hurts our egos a little bit, but like we, we created this playground, you know, we can let other people play on it and enjoy it and we can kick back and reap the rewards of that as well. And I think, you know, just starting to dip your toe in. The first thing I ever outsourced was my podcast editing. And the second I did that, I Amazing was like, feeling, isn't it? Oh my God. Why am I not doing this <laughs> with like everything? It just makes my life so much easier. And just like, you know, someone else is an expert in that. Someone else is good at that. I can it takes just you let two them. hours. They yeah. do it in 20 minutes. Exactly. Yep. And yeah. it's better quality. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why? Why did I do that for so long? And I think that's everybody's response to when you first start to dip your toe in. But I think it really starts with that awareness of, where are you spending your time? Because we all think we're spending our time on certain things and that's not actually where we're spending our time if you really were to track it. And what is the value of that? Are you spending half your week on, you know, really low value tasks? I have a florist who pointed out that 
she went through that and she realized, you know, she was spending this time cleaning up buckets. Mm-hmm. Like, Why am I doing this? Yeah. <laughs> I could be paying somebody to do this and I could go get more customers and, you know, create more revenue for the business in that time. Exactly. I think that that like blends perfectly to like what you just mentioned before about having the marketing plan and knowing the steps that you're going to be taking to attract those aligned clients. Because if you're spending all of this time washing buckets or packing your rentals or designing when you could be on a sales call or doing something that's going to attract that sales call, then what you're doing isn't aligned and it's not going to actually grow your business. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a realization we all have to have because we just do stuff throughout the day without really thinking about it and without really realizing what needs to be done by you because it's high value and it adds a lot to the business. And what is just routine stuff that has to get done that someone else could be doing? Yeah. I just recently finished High Performance Habits from Brenda Burchard. And I wrote down like the five things that are going to make me accomplish the one goal that I have. And one of them was like a certain revenue. So I was like, if I'm not doing one of these five things within 60% of my time throughout the day, then it's not going to, I'm not going to reach that goal basically. So it helps keep me on track. And I have it on my computer and like a notes that's like always up and reminds me that if I'm in my email every five minutes and I'm not working on this goal, then I'm not actually going to accomplish this goal. And it just keeps you on track and making sure that you're working throughout the day. Yeah. If you can identify like these are the dominoes I have Mm -hmm. to knock over in order to, you know, knock the whole row over, it becomes so much easier because like you said, then you can filter like, am I doing the thing or am I doing something else? And then if, if you have that awareness, it becomes easier to like yank yourself out of rabbit holes because you're still going to go down them that never goes away it just becomes easier to spend 10 minutes being distracted as opposed to spending hours being distracted i love this so i know that you have a special training that you're offering our listeners do you mind sharing what exactly it is and how it's going to help them Yeah, so I have a podcast training about the six pillars to build a six-figure wedding business, and we often focus on, you know, those marketing and sales areas, but that's two parts of these six pillars, and if you don't have all of them in place, you wind up with, you know, a business that completely takes over your life, and you don't have any time to enjoy the success that you have created. So you can listen to this on the go. It is a free audio training and you'll get access to an audit where you can actually see where you stand on each of these six pillars. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. So needed for everybody because we're constantly sucked into the business. I know that I, it's been a big thing. (laughs) Like the past like couple of years, it's, I've really come to the realizations like, I need to stop creating more work for myself and I need to just work the work that I've already got instead of, you know, doing more. So thank you so much for being on the podcast, Heidi. I'm so excited that we were able to have this conversation and share your knowledge and experience with everybody. Is there any last tactical advice or, you know, just as they're growing their floral business that you can share, keep them on track? I think the most important thing to keep yourself on track is to be as intentional as possible. And if in any given moment of any given day, you don't know why you're doing something, 
that's a really good indication that you're not being intentional. You're being reactive. You are, you know, just going through the day, being pulled around by other people's priorities and other people's, you know, demands. But if you can try to start every day, start every week, just check in with yourself with why am I doing this? What is the most important thing I need to get done? And when I say important, I don't mean urgent. I mean the actual thing, like you said, that's going to lead you to your goal. Then you will be so much better off because the time you spend in your business is actually intentional and it gets things done that you need to get done. And you actually get to spend less time working when you are really focused and intentional. And I hope that, um, that six pillars training will illuminate some of the areas where maybe you're veering off the rails a little bit. This has been so good. Thank you so much, Heidi. I know that everybody needs that six pillars training and I hope everybody goes to get it. It'll be in the show notes so that they can get it real quick. And thank you again for being on. Thank you so much for having me. I hope today's episode inspired you on your floral prayer journey. Make sure to check out the show notes for a rundown of today's episode, along with the important links and resources we drop for you. If you enjoyed this and want to deeper dive into some of the topics we discuss here on the show, make sure to join us in our Bloom Like a Boss Club. And I'd be grateful to see that you shared this episode with a friend or on social media and left a review on Apple Podcasts. Lastly, if no one's told you today, I want to remind you that you can build a successful business while playing with flowers. Now let's get out there and boss up. 